And so they invited me back and gave me a ticket. So I wanted to go back. And uh, so I want to greet you from them. They thank you for uh, allowing me to have the time away to go back and celebrate. And it's really interesting, actually, to be at a church celebrating the 25th and looking back. And it's so, I mean, having been there for eight years, some of the highs and some of the lows, you know, you realize that so often it's a faith journey that we make together. And what matters as a community is that you make that faith journey together. Over to the other side, and then you look back and say, hey, we made it with God. And you celebrate. And so it was a great time of celebration. I want to thank also Jonathan for, uh, for bringing the message uh, during my absence. I really appreciate uh, him doing that uh, on my behalf. The passage this morning um, really raises questions and uh, thoughts, fears, I think, as we, as we read it. Jesus talks about loving God with all that you are and loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And it made me think about this. It made me think if someone were to walk up with you, to you at work or maybe your neighborhood, you know, talking to your neighbors, it's a good thing, uh, and say, you know, what's the most important thing to you? Or what's the most important thing that you should do in life? What would your answer be? You know, we kind of know now maybe what it's supposed to be. But let's move that aside. Because, you know, we, oh, of course, I, you know, is that really what we think? Is, is that the thing that comes to mind? Maybe, maybe some of you are like, oh, gosh, it's, it's too hard of a question. It makes me nervous. Some of you might be like me and go, well, this is probably the most important thing. I think about, no, no this is the most important thing. And I, I go around to four or five different things. I can't quite decide which one is the most important thing. Maybe if you are like, I know the answer. Pick me, pick me, you know. Um, and sometimes when you're in that situation, you say the answer, and then someone else says an answer. You go, oh, that was even better than my answer. But what's the most important thing? It's a pretty important question. In this passage, Jesus is asked a question, but it's not an honest question. It's not your friend, your neighbor coming up and saying, you know, I'm really struggling with life and I'm trying to put things together. What's most important? It's actually asked by a Pharisee who's a very religious person who knows a lot about what God has said in the past, but who's using his knowledge to try to trap Jesus to try to bring up a possibility that Jesus could be criticized, maybe to decrease his popularity and his impact. Maybe you've had someone do this to you at work. (laughs) Probably have. Someone who's come and they said something in in what seemed to be a really nice way, like they're on your side and to help you, only to get you far enough in saying something or making a commitment to something to find that, oh my goodness, they trapped me. It wasn't, it wasn't out of goodwill that they did this, but they trapped me. And I, I've had that happen to me, and it is a very bitter feeling. That someone I trusted and trapped me. But that's what happened to Jesus in this situation. And at that time, there was an open debate going on asking basically this question. What's the most important commandment? What is the thing of all the commandments, 400 and something commandments God has given us? Which one's the most important? Which, which is the, the one that if you follow it, all the others seem to flow out of it? And so different people would say different things. And what happened over time is there became different factions. People who would agree with this and agree with that, or I like this, or I like that. And so it actually divided people, and it didn't bring them together. And so the purpose of this question by the Pharisee is to divide the audience listening to Jesus. Because he knows you can't answer this question well. Nobody can. So Jesus, but you're the wise one. You're the, you're the one sent by God. You'll have the answer for us, won't you? 
The Pharisee wanted to destroy Jesus' credibility. And the reality is, I think the Pharisee is living in what I would call the, the world of trapping people. There won't be not, but there's not a bumper sticker like this. There's not a, a place that says you're entering the world of trapping people. But that's the world we live in, isn't it? The purpose of the conversation, the purpose of the, of the interaction is about winning. That my goal is to beat other people. I want to prove myself. I want to get all that I can. And I want to exercise influence and control over other people. And so I use the opportunities that I have to entrap people, to move ahead of people, to prove how good I am. This Pharisee is living in that world, in the world of trapping other people. And he is living in a world where it basically says this. If you want to get ahead in life, you need to live in that kind of world. You need to use people. You need to trap them, to get ahead of them in any way you can. I find it very interesting that this Pharisee is living this idea, this world, this this way of entrapping other people to get ahead, and yet, on the other hand, is an incredibly religious person. (laughs) You know? Two things that shouldn't go together, but often do. Incredibly religious, incredibly knowing exactly what God says in so many ways, and yet living completely contrary to it. But you know what? You can't, you couldn't always tell because the outside looks so good until you see that he tries to trap Jesus. But Jesus is never very easy to trap. I don't know if you've noticed that. Um, different times God has asked us to go different places that sometimes have been very challenging and, and we do. I think most of the time we have obeyed and done that. So I've, I've gotten into this routine where now I tell God, please, you know, don't ever send me. You ever done that? Don't, don't, God, I don't want to go here. And the next thing you know, you're going there. I don't want to go here. So I guess say, God, don't ever send me. I don't ever want to go to Hawaii. You know. <laughs> I have to tell you, I have never been to Hawaii. And I think there's a good reason why. You can't trap God. He goes, I know what you're doing, Paul. You're trying to, you know. You can't trap God. And you can't trap Jesus in this way. He entered into the conversation, but he didn't get trapped but Jesus lives in a world full of traps and people who like to trap others. And yet he made it through. He lived not according to this world's number one rule, which is me first. That's what, that's what the world of trapping other people is all about. It's me first. I have to get ahead of the other people. I'm so glad we don't live in that kind of world. Oh, maybe every once in a while. Okay, maybe a lot. Maybe we get dragged in as well. But a few weeks ago, we talked about God's motivation in sending Jesus. And it says that God so loved the world. And by the way, that world there, the the word for world is not the pretty, beautiful, everything's right world. It's the ugly, destructive, rebellious world. That God so loved the broken world. That was not the way he made it, but he so loved it anyway that he sent his son that the world might be rescued through it. That's love. And I think in this passage, Jesus is going to introduce us to an alternate way of living, living differently from the world that we we inhabit most of the time, which is this world of, I'm going to trap you, or we have to always worry about being trapped, or sometimes to get ahead, we feel like we have to manipulate other people to trap them. This is the world of love that Jesus has lived out and is going to call us to live into as well. 
Love is about giving. Love is about helping and giving to other people what they deserve and also what they need. Love can be tough. It can be very tender. It can be focused on what is right or is focused on what is right and it focuses on what benefits the other person even if that benefit is not short-term but long-term. That's what love does. Every obligation of love is intended to free you to live life fully in a more whole and complete way. So Jesus walks into the trap of the Pharisee, but he's not captured by it. But he offers us a different way to live, to live beyond that. He even offers this, I think, to the Pharisee. Someone who wants to trap him, Jesus wants to release. And he says, in answering the question, the greatest thing you can do, the greatest commandments, are to love God with all that you are, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest is to love God, but the other one that's equally important, equally heavy, equally equally of value, that's necessary to go together with it, is to love your neighbor as yourself. When you hear those two phrases, how do you feel? Do you feel trapped? Do you feel guilty? Do you feel freed? Often I think we feel bound by those commandments because we fail. Or we don't try sometimes. Or we can't live up to them. And so they seem to be oppressive to us. But I have to tell you this, that Jesus is not trying to impose a guilt trip on you and me. He's not. He's not trying to say, I'm going to give you something so heavy that you'll be crushed and and you'll, you'll have to finally come to me. He says, no, I'm trying to lead you towards freedom. To a new life. And there's only one path towards that. And that's the path of loving God with all that you are. And loving your neighbor as yourself. What is the most important commandment? What should occupy our thoughts, our intentions, our actions? Loving God with all that we are and loving our neighbors ourselves. Loving God. That's tough, isn't it? Maybe not for you, maybe it's just for me. But loving God is, is a hard thing to know and to figure out how to do. But loving God is the one love that when we love God with all that we are, puts in order all of the other loves in our life. The love of spouse, the love of children, the love of food, the love of travel, the love of music, you know, physical love, all the different loves that we have in life, the things that draw us, you know, away that that are wonderful. But sometimes, you know, have you noticed this, that if they get if you give yourself too much to one of those things, it can be incredibly destructive. But when you love God with all that you are, all the other loves in life, which are good come into order and have their right place. And when God, when we don't love God first and when it's not the most important love in our life, you know what? Everything else is completely out of whack, isn't it? It's, it's amazing. God says all those other loves are great, but there's only one love that unifies them, and that is the love of God that you have. And I want to say this because I think it's important because so often we hear that and we go, I know I'm supposed to love God, Paul. I just... If I'm honest, I just, I just don't, like I think I should. And, and here's the good news. Loving God is a response. That's all. And when we, when we have in our heart in a sense of, I just don't know if I love God now, it means this, that we are not receiving, for whatever reasons, and understanding and experiencing His love for us. Because the love of God is, is just a response. 
That's all it is. When we love God back, we're just responding to what He has given to us. We never initiate love for God, in other words. We never work it up. It is always because we are now experiencing the love of God that we love others. Let me give you an illustration of this from, from my life in a different area. Um, uh, my, I got to see my parents this, this week, and um, it was wonderful. But I remember growing up, not the easiest child I was um, for my parents. And, and there were many things that I didn't want to do. And, and uh, at one point, I remember my mother got, she was having company over, and she was, uh, I was not being helpful. So she got very frustrated, and she grabbed my shoulders, which she didn't do very often, and she shook me. Actually, she, she grabbed my shoulders, and she shook. So she, I had gotten big enough at that point that, you know, she grabbed, and she's going like this, and I'm not moving. And she's, she realized, oh, my goodness, I better do something different. But to, just to give you an illustration that oftentimes things, I was not always the easiest of children to have in the, in the house when I was a teen. And my mom tried to teach me things. There's a lot of things that I didn't do, pick up after myself, et cetera, et cetera, clean up, you know, all the things that kids don't do. And then I married Beth. And my mom came to our house, and she watched me work, and she said, oh, my goodness, all the things that I tried in vain to teach you to do, now you do without any complaints at all. Why? Love. Not that I didn't, didn't, don't love my mother. I do, but you know, she's my mother. <laughs> but the, the love of my wife that I have experienced and then to give back. See, it wasn't a burden. It wasn't on the have-to list. It was on the want-to list. Why? Because I had experienced the wonderful love of death. And I wanted to love back. And I found ways to love back. God doesn't say, love me, because he's trying to force us into something. He says, love me, because I have loved you wonderfully in the life and death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now, I'm inviting you into a new world that you can live well, and you only can live it by loving but you've got to feel my love first. You've got to know my love first. And then you can. The most important thing that should occupy our minds, the questions that we should be asking, discussions, our prayers, our hopes, should be about, how do I love God? God, how do you love me so I can love you back? And God, what are the needs of my neighbors? How can I love them? See, the world of trapping people has no place for that question about how does God love me and how can I love others. The only thing that the, the world of, of that trapping other people and living to try to get ahead has is this. What about me? What did I get? Is this what I want? That's all it has. And if that voice is in your head, and I think it probably is in our heads quite frequently, you need to replace it with the question of how has God loved me and how can I love it? You know, sometimes some thoughts that you have, some voices you have in your mind, you know what you need to do? You need to get tape and you need to put it over the mouth of that voice. Say, I'm not listening to you anymore. Sometimes you need to put it in a room, you know, and say, lock the door and say, you stay in there. This is my life. You're not invited in. Because life is not about me. Jesus has told me life is about loving God and loving other people. And in the process, God will care for me. So I don't have to worry about me. God's got that covered. I get to love God. The second part of this commandment is to love our neighbors. But who is your neighbor? Who is that person? I think your neighbor is your friends, your family, 
the people who, who you love and who are near to you, the people that oftentimes are far from us but touch our lives. And our neighbor is also our enemy, those who don't like us, those who try to entrap us. This is the frustrating thing. See, the Pharisee to Jesus, the Pharisee who's trying to trap Jesus and trying to hurt Jesus, guess what? That person is Jesus' neighbor. And so Jesus doesn't treat him in a harsh way or in a way that's inappropriate. He treats him in love so that he too might come into the new way of living. In Jesus' day, people might have come into touch. Their lives might have touched people maybe a hundred kilometers away. Probably most people they touched were within a few, a few kilometers. Every once in a while, someone in Palestine might come across a Roman guard, and therefore the people that they touch would be, you know, maybe as far as Rome. But the reality is in our day, there seems to be no limit to who our neighbor is, who we have touched to. Disasters in Pakistan, Haiti... Africa and different places point out this reality that our our reach, our touch, our neighbors are much far much farther. There's so many more than in the day of Jesus. You know, the food we eat comes from all over the world, doesn't it? Farmers who who made food and who are having a living living and are either being blessed by the way things work or being cursed by the system that they work under. The goods we buy, our TVs, our, our iPods, all the different things that we have in our house come from all over the world. When we buy it, we're touching them. That's reality. The question is, are we, through our purchases and what we do, touching them in a, in a good and helpful way? Or, as sometimes can happen, are we supporting, through our finances, people who are being oppressed? Those are hard questions. Those are questions that Jesus' audience never had to ask. But guess what? We live in a different world. What we do touches people. You know, our, our, global, uh, our global outreach funds, and we have a, a wonderful global outreach team. If you want to know some of the things that we're supporting as a church uh, in the newsletter, uh, it has a whole page on that. Um, as a church, you're touching people. Through the offering that you just gave, you are touching lives that will be changed forever people who will be cared for, people who will be taught, people who will be nourished, people who will be given a livelihood to be able to have a living and to be able to care for their family. You, you, did, that, you did that today. That's a good thing you did as you gave. The reality is there are websites and charities that in, in a few minutes we can give money to. Um, and, and we can touch lives all over. It's an amazing thing we can do. The, broad, the breadth of the responsibility we have is incredible. But as Steve said, sometimes, you know, that breadth can be so far out that we might give to a charity, but never talk to our neighbor. Never, never see our neighbor with too many bags and come over and offer to help them with their bags. They might say, no, that's okay. But so often, we can give to those far away because they're faceless and we don't know them. But to give to those close to us requires intimacy. Who is our neighbor? Our neighbor is everyone. All around us. All the time. And that can be an overwhelming thought until you remember it's not just about me loving, but it's about me experiencing the love of God 
and me loving God and then by naturally loving other people as best I can. To do what I can in front of me. Not to worry about all the things I haven't done or didn't do or can't do, but to do the things that I can. And if we think about the things we can do and we do them, we'll do, we'll do well. And if we think about all the things that we can't do and we didn't do, we'll be depressed and not want to do anything at all. God calls us to love our neighbor, to love those around us, to love those within our touch. Whether that touch be physical, whether it be economic, whether it be electronic. Jesus summed up his phrase, or this in a phrase, he said basically, do unto others as you would want them to do to you. What do you want people to do to you? Do unto others in the same way. Do you want people to treat you kindly? Treat them kindly. Do you want people to help you in need? Do that to them. Do you want people to, to be there to support, to encourage, to listen? Do that for them as well as you have opportunities. Now, don't go to extremes, okay, on this. Don't say, you know what, I love green beans. So I'm going to make everybody eat green beans and take green beans to everybody. Some of us don't like green beans. Personally, I do. But, you know, don't take it to extremes that whatever I like, other people will like. Because if you notice, there's a lot of diversity in this world. There's a lot of things that some people like and other people don't like. And so we need to be, you know, not extreme. We also need to not be discouraged by some people's response. Sometimes we'll get rejected a lot when we love people or when we try to love them. Sometimes, you know, it's, it was hard for us. If you remember, it was hard for us to respond to the love of God. Most of us have stories of times that God was knocking and carrying and saying, I want you to know me. I want you to experience my love. And we say, I'm not ready, not interested, not now. And God didn't say, okay, you blew it. He kept loving and he kept loving. And someday we said, I'm ready. I need it. And our lives were changed by what God did. You know, I, I remember the story, and uh, I won't get it quite right, but of, uh, of Hans and Adeline in the apartment they were in before. And sorry, I always like to embarrass them. It's just fun. It's fun to see them, you know, go. But, uh, but they tried for a long time to, to know their neighbor. And I think they invited their, their neighbor over several, uh, for several years for tea and just for conversation. And, um, and I think it wasn't until the day, Adeline, I think that you guys talked to her out in the hall, and you found that she told you that she had cancer. And, and then that led to an opening. And to the opportunity to, to, to love her. You know. And what I love about that is that they didn't say after a year, well, she doesn't want to know us. You know, they said, no, you know, she's within my reach. I want her to feel the love of God through us and through me. Jesus is inviting people to live in that world, into a new world. into a world that will not destroy them, in a world that will not destroy other people. He's inviting them to a world where love is the operative thing that will challenge them, that will grow them, and will ultimately satisfy them. If love is the greatest thing, then it is worthy of all that we have to experience it, to understand it, and to live it. I can tell you this, the more you enter into the love of God, the more you'll be surprised that it's not what you thought it might be. That in the experience of God's love, the expression of love to God and to others becomes natural, becomes freeing, and becomes incredibly, wonderfully satisfying.
you and I have been trapped for too long in a world and a mindset and a thinking that slowly sucks the life out of us. Let other people live that way. But don't fall into that trap that life is about you, about your progress. Live in the reality that that life is about experiencing God's love, loving God back, and then expressing the love of God that you have towards other people as well, no matter what they do. That is how you live. That is the greatest commandment. And that will free you. Here's the great news. Jesus doesn't just give us these commands and says, go do it and I'll evaluate you later. Jesus gives a guided tour. Okay? You know what that means? You've got a guide. You come to Jesus and he says, come follow me and I will make you the thing that he wants you to be. And then he says, walk with me and I will teach you. So you can every time say, God, I don't feel your love. Jesus, help me to experience the love of God. God, I, I don't know how to love you in this situation. And turn to Jesus and he will help us. God, you know these people around me. They drive me crazy. How in the world do I love them? And then be ready for Jesus to show you that way. Because life is a guided tour with Jesus. It's not an adventure on our own. But the greatest thing in life is to love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. If you get a better offer, take it. But you won't. So I encourage you to take this gift and together as God's community to live it for His glory and for our good. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, so often we think we're doing really well in life. Things are working well for us. Work is working. Home is working. So many things are happening in good ways that we forget. That life is just not about the smoothness of our life and the pleasures that we enjoy. But life is really about loving you and loving others. We thank you that that love is a response, not something that we have to work up, but it's a response to your love. Help us, Lord, to feel your love so that we might really feel what we sang today, that we are in awe of who you are and of your love. Father, some of us are in deep, dark places. We don't sense or feel your love at this moment. Lift our eyes. Jesus, come close to us and help us to see the depth of love and that you know about suffering as well and that you know about the love of God in suffering. Lead us out of that, we pray, so that we might again rejoice in your greatness and learn to live by love. Help us, bless us, make us a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.